This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, let's pray. Father, it's so good to be in your presence. and Thank you, Lord, for being our our God and our helper in time of need. Do, Lord, now speak to our hearts in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, 27, 9 verse 27, we'll continue in this uh, rich book of uh, Matthew and, and uh, seek to, to mine out of it all the gems that the Lord has for us. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, passage here from verse 27 to 34. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying, saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord, Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his frame in all that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. Okay, now just to get a little bit again to bring us back to the context of this passage here, the Lord Jesus has now left the home of the prominent Pharisee, Jairus. He's just raised Jairus' daughter up from the dead. Before that, he's been in the home of Matthew at a feast when Jairus then burst into that feast, interrupted him with this plea for help for his dying daughter. And we remember at that point, the Lord had no hesitation at all. He didn't resent being interrupted. He jumped up, he left the house of Jairus. 
But before he got to the house of Jairus, another woman comes and essentially interrupts the Lord with her silent plea for help because she's had a flow of blood for 12 years. And so Jairus is desperate, the woman is desperate, the woman wants to remain anonymous and not known to the crowd, but oh no, not the Lord. The Lord was knew that for her to stay anonymous was not good for her. So the Lord interrupts again his trip going to Jairus' home in order to draw out of her the faith that she had through a confession of her mouth. She tried to hide, she tried to be absorbed, she tried to to get away because she didn't wanna be seen, she didn't wanna be known, she just wanted to be a private matter, her own private healing with the Lord, but it was important for her to confess her faith. Why? Because Romans 10.9 says how important that is when it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, then it says thou shalt be saved. But then thou shalt be saved. Why? Because from Romans 10.10, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This woman had already believed in her heart that the Lord Jesus was gonna heal her, that was there. But what she needed to be solidly saved was to make a confession out in the open. So the Lord stops, graciously stops, and looks for her and says, where are you? Of course he knew where she was. As he's looking around, wanting, drawing, wanting to, persuading her, come up, come out, and to identify yourself as trusting in me. And finally she does. That woman represented another interruption in the life of the Lord, but he was happy to be interrupted because he was happy to be interrupted by those who were desperate, who had a desperate need for him because he says this is his MO, this is the way he is. He says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, 2 Chronicles 7.14, he says, if my people shall humble themselves and shall seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, He says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And mine mine eyes shall be open and my ears shall attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. So the eyes of the Lord are open. The ears of the Lord are open to the cry of the desperate. Not to the cry of the desperate, to the cry of the seeking. Finally, the Lord reaches the house of Jairus and he sees all this wailing and this carrying on, going on by these professional mourners, and he tells them, the Lord tells them, the girl is, is just sleeping, she's not dead. And instantly, all of their mourning turns to laughter. The hypocrisy of their mourning is brought out. As they all are laughing at him, it's the laughter of unbelief. And the Lord just powered through all of that unbelief because he has a goal. He has a goal, he wants to reach that girl, that 12-year-old girl, It's already been a very taxing day for the Lord. He's tired, he's exhausted. He's raised her from the dead. He's looking back to getting back to the house, back to the place where he's gonna stay, back to the place where he can get a rest, back to the place where he can get a meal, back to the place where he can just relax from it all. But again, on the way, he's interrupted now again, this time by two blind men. They start to follow him. They start to cry after him. And this begins now the history of the healing of the two blind men. And when we look at these as a pair, when we look at the raising of the 12-year-old girl, Jairus' daughter, 
and the healing of the blind men. These two miracles, these two miracles fit who Jehovah Jesus is. Jehovah Jesus brought to life this 12-year-old girl. Jehovah Jesus gave sight to these two blind men. This is the same Jehovah Jesus who created all things. This is the same Jehovah Jesus from Genesis 1.24 when he said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth after his kind, and it was so. This is the same Jehovah Jesus who in the second chapter of Genesis, verse seven, Genesis 2, seven, it says about him, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The Jehovah Jesus in the first two chapters of Genesis is interested in life. That's his interest, life. He created the living animals. He breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. That's how man became a living spirit. And so in keeping with his interest in life, he comes now and he raises Jairus' daughter out of death to life. In keeping with his interest in life, he brings us out of death into life. That's what it says in Ephesians 2.1. Ephesians 2.1, when it turns, it says, and you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Just like that girl. Just like that 12-year-old girl. And right after Jehovah Jesus raises this 12-year-old girl from the dead, he proceeds now, as we're seeing, to give sight to two blind men. Two blind men. Same Jehovah Jesus from Genesis 1-2, Genesis 1-2, where it says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. That's symbolic, symbolic, taken together of these two miracles the history of the healing of these two blind men and the healing of this dumb man also and the accusation of the Pharisees, this is all very symbolic. But it's said here uniquely in the book of Matthew. You won't find this, Clinton. You won't find this in any of the other gospels, in the parallel gospels, because this is only here in the book of Matthew, the healing of the blind men and the dumb man. Why? You say, why is it only recorded by Matthew? Wasn't it important? Why is it only Matthew? It leads us to ask this question because there's something very important about these healings here that's very important to Matthew that he alone records it. First of all, we have to realize again, book of Matthew is written to a target audience. It's written to the Jews. It's written uniquely written to the Jewish people. And in this history, Matthew has brought out for us three desperate Jewish men, three desperate Jewish men, two Jewish blind men, and one Jewish dumb man who's possessed with the devil. They're healed, and the Lord Jesus starts to become famous among the Jewish people as a result of this, and that brings the leaders of the Jewish people, the Pharisees, to counter that fame with a defame, 
The miracles made him famous, and they set out to defame him. And this was very, very important to bring out to the Jewish people, and that's why Matthew does this. So what is the point he's bringing out to the Jewish people? Who among the Jewish people are gonna come to the Lord Jesus Christ? The desperate. Those who are desperate because they have a flow of blood. Those who are desperate because they're blind. Those who are desperate because they have leprosy. Those who are desperate because they're dumb. The desperate are the ones who come out. And what happens as his name is becoming famous, as his reputation is being built? Defamation by the Jewish leaders, by the Pharisees. The message that Matthew is sending to the Jewish people is you may have lived your whole life saying, what does the rabbi, what do the rabbis say? I'll have to follow what the rabbis say. Go, quick, give me a quick, give me the commentary, give me the Talmud, where is it here? I gotta see what the rabbis say. I can't think on my own. And Matthew is saying, if you do that, you can expect the rabbis to defame the Lord Jesus, and that's what's being brought out here, and that's why it's uniquely presented in the book of Matthew. So the Lord Jesus is passing by, and these two blind men, they hear that the Lord is there, and they start to follow, and they follow the Lord all the way to the house. And you've got to ask yourself the question, how could blind people follow the Lord Jesus all the way to the house? Well, we don't know. They heard the sounds, or maybe God helped them, whatever, all the way to the house. And however they were doing it, they were following, but they weren't silent. They weren't quiet about it. They're crying out the whole time. It's amazing. They're crying out the whole time, and the Lord doesn't stop. The Lord doesn't turn around. The Lord doesn't address them. He just keeps on his way. And they're crying out, and they're crying out with this title that they've given to the Lord, Son of David. Jesus, thou Son of David, they cry. Now, that's a title that has a very significant meaning because that's the title that was used for the Lord on Palm Sunday when he entered into Jerusalem. Who was coming into Jerusalem? The son of David is coming into Jerusalem. That's what we see in Matthew 21, 9. Matthew 21, 9, when the multitudes that went before and that followed, so in front of him and behind him, they cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So it's the son of David who's coming in. The son of David. That's the one who comes. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's the Messiah. The Messiah comes. The Messiah is sent from one direction. And the Messiah comes from our direction. So when they call him the son of David, they're saying he's the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. And then they're also crying out, thou son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. You know what's interesting? It's interesting that each of them weren't, weren't saying have mercy on me, have mercy on me. Why wasn't it a chorus of him hearing, have mercy on me, have mercy on me? But they weren't. They weren't a set of two voices saying, have mercy on me. It was like a chorus of two voices saying, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. Now, when they were saying that, have mercy on us versus have mercy on me, it's a beautiful picture. It's a really beautiful picture when you look at them there saying, have mercy on us. Because each one of them, it's like each one of them is saying, is saying, if you heal me and you don't heal him, that's not enough. 
That's not enough. You got to heal both of us. Have mercy on us. And that's a picture there. I mean, these two men were, were suffering. And the suffering kind of changes something in a person. Suffering makes a person more sensitive to other people who suffer. Suffering makes a person more sympathetic, more caring, more loving. That's a good thing. It's not a good thing to go through suffering. It's not pleasant to go through suffering, but it does a good work when it's done. It's like Peter said in 1 Peter 4.1, 1 Peter 4.1, for as much then as Christ has suffered in the flesh, he says, for as much as then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That's a good thing to cease from sin. That's not a good thing to suffer. That hurts, but the good outcome is that way. Suffering has a good outcome. You know, a few weeks ago, my five-year-old grandson, Colton, you've all been praying for him. He asked his mother a question. I mean, this is Colton, in case you don't know. Colton's, he's five. He was diagnosed with leukemia when he was two. And for over three years, he has just endured continual IV infusions of chemo, oral taking of chemo, intraspinal injections of chemo under general anesthesia. It's been regular. And it's been this regular, it seems like regular, run to Grady's Hospital. He's got a fever, stays in the hospital, gets injected with all these harsh IV antibiotics because he has no immune system. It's been rough on the little guy. And he, furthermore, he's enduring all these pains all over his body. He's got a pain in his back, a pain in his arm, all these pains. So he's leaving this one day from Radius Hospital after one of those painful treatments. And he's out there in the front of the hospital and he looks up at his mom and he says, Mommy, why did God give me cancer? That's an interesting question. Why did, no, no, no. He didn't say, Mommy, why did I get cancer? He didn't say that. He said, Mommy, why did God give me cancer? Now, what's interesting, a couple of things interesting about what he said. First of all, he was saying, there's no second causes in life. I mean, it's not because I have a gene, a bad gene. It's not because I was exposed to this chemical that I got cancer. It's not because of this radiation exposure, if it ever happened, that I got cancer. No, but God gave me cancer, he was saying. Why did God give me cancer? Not why do I have this gene, why did I... Why did God give me cancer? It's a good question. Job asked that question too. Job asked that question. He saw all he lost and he didn't say, well, you know, it was the Sabaeans, it was the Chaldeans, it was the wind, it was the, where are there a bunch of them? Anyways, all of the fire. He didn't say that. He said in Job 121, Job 121, he said the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. He said his wife was way out of line, and so he was setting her straight. Yeah, good luck, husband, setting a wife straight. Anyway, so he was trying, and he said uh, in Job 2.10, Job 2.10, what? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? What's he saying, Job? What are you saying? Job is saying, I'm saying that we receive evil from the hand of God, from the hand of God. Now, I don't pretend to know the answer to Colton's question, why did God give me cancer? I don't. But one thing I do know is that because Colton has gone through this, 
he will have a special sympathy and a compassion for those who suffer. Just like these two men who didn't say, have mercy on me, but have mercy on us. The one was thinking of the other and the other was thinking of him. And that's what suffering does. So these two blind men, they're crying after Jesus all the way. And finally he addresses them and he's walking all this distance. I don't know how far it was. walking out and crying out continually. Son of David, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. And it says in verse 28, when he was come into the house. So it's in that house that he finally speaks to them. And that's not how the Lord responded to the lepers. It's immediately replied to them. That's not how the Lord responded to Jairus. He immediately got up and went with Jairus. But this is what the Lord did to these blind men. He didn't respond to them all along the way until they got to the house and followed him to the house. And after all, it wasn't easy. These are blind men having to follow him all the way there. So why did he do it? Why did he make them follow him all the way into the house? Well, one reason is that it just strengthened their faith, made their faith strong. It made, the, it made their resolve firm. And that's important. That's important. It's important to be built up to say, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. That's important. So the delay helps us to also understand why it can be in our case that we don't get an immediate answer to prayer, but that there's a delay in God answering our prayers, which can be very frustrating, and we can be saying, the heavens are brass, the heavens are brass, but God has a purpose. God had a purpose in not responding immediately to these blind men. God has a purpose in delaying and answering prayer. But another reason was that when the Lord finally did speak with them, they were kind of private, out of the crowds, at least all around, kind of like a more private meeting between the blind men and this one. It was this the Lord wanted this to be, a private meeting, just between each of them. I really do believe it was that way because after he healed them, he said, see that you tell no man. That would have made no sense if there was a bunch of people around him when he healed their eyes. So he wanted to get them out of the public and into a private place. He didn't want it to be a public healing. Why not? Why not? Why didn't he want it to be a public healing? Well, we can get an insight into the answer to that question when we consider what the Lord did when there was 5,000 men, not counting women and children, listening to him one day, and he fed them, as recorded in John 6.10, John 6.10. And Jesus said, make the men sit down, and there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that sat down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.